1: Back day podcast.
2: What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome into an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast along with the Packers Wire. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL, And of course, from the Packers Wire, the one and only Paul Brettel, you can find him on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Paul, it has been a couple weeks since we've last spoken. A lot's happened since that time. Great to be back chatting with you. Hopefully you had a very happy new year. And uh, I know at least a part of that was the Packers going to the playoffs, which has made it a very great new year, at least so to start.
1: Yeah, 100%. And same to you, Andy. And uh, like we were just talking about before we came on here, I mean, just the roller coaster this season has been and to, for this team to end up in the playoffs and play in the way that they are right now. I mean, so much of the end of the season is, are you playing your best football? And there's a number of phases for this Packers team where you can you can say that they are at the moment. And, and obviously, there's the playoffs are high-caliber teams, but that on its own can make the Packers a dangerous one to contend with. I can't imagine
2: that Dan Quinn and the Cowboys are watching tape of Green Bay right now being like, Ooh, yippee, we get to play Green Bay. (laughs) Like uh, I I certainly would not want to go against Jordan Love the way that he's playing right now. And I'm not saying that the Dallas should be afraid or that they shouldn't be the favorites or anything like that. But I do think we, with you, exactly as you mentioned, with how this team is playing defense for Probably the first time all season put back to back. I don't care who the opponent is for the first time all season, put back to back better defensive performances together. Again, Jordan's playing outstanding. These young receivers are stepping up. Bo Melton is, you know, striking the fear of God into anyone that's watching Mm -hmm. his tape. Like, it just, it is a really fun team. Like the, the vibes are good. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know of anyone that would be super stoked to play this team. They've, they've got their work cut out for them. And it, it, I, I just cannot wait for, for Sunday to see how this one plays out one way or the other. Um, but obviously we will start with, with Packers Bears and kind of going through that first. Um, I always love to kind of get everyone's take on where they're at, what they, what, what their main takeaways were. So I ca- I'll kind of give you the floor and go any direction that you want to go in.
1: Yeah, So, I mean, obviously, there's obvious and just Jordan Love's performance. And just to kind of put a bow on what we saw, a first-year starting quarterback who right now is just in complete control in really all phases of the game. And you see it pre-snap with his adjustments at the line of scrimmage or, or with the, the protection adjustments that he's making, ability to go off script. And Tom Clements talked about this about a month ago with his uh, decision-making in terms of where to go with the football when under duress, and you see that so much. I I looked this up, I think going back to week 15, so the last four games, Jordan Love's completion rate when under pressure is like 76%. And that just speaks to his understanding and knowing of what's coming, where his guys are, where the defense is positioned, where to go with the football. Like I said, just in complete control. But I also want to talk about the trenches because that's where the Packers dominated this one. And that's a lot of what happened in week one and obviously this Bears team, this Packers team, both very different from that time of the season, but the Packers dominated that part of the game in week one, and they really did it again here on this past Sunday. Obviously, on the ground game, having a healthy Aaron Jones, uh, five yards per carry, over 100 yards rushing. Jordan Love, he was only pressured on four of his 34 dropbacks in that game. Pass rush did an excellent job of keeping Justin Fields in the pocket. And that Bears uh, run game is one of the more efficient units in football. I think they came into that game averaging around 4.7 yards per carry. Green Bay held them to just over three. So just uh, the performance, obviously, the quarterback position, Jordan Love, Uh starts there but their ability to control the trenches on both sides of the ball is what led to this you know the score didn't necessarily reflect it but a team that was in control from start to finish like the packers averaged 7.2 yards per play as an offense and to put that into perspective the 49ers came into week 18 averaging 6.7 and leading the nfl so they were doing an excellent job of moving the ball there are a couple missed opportunities that uh You know, had that game as close as it was. Otherwise, it very could have easily been a a three score victory for the Packers. But Jordan Love and the play in the trenches were my biggest takeaways from that one.
2: Well, it was like perfect cliff notes version of like everything I wanted to discuss with you during the course of this episode. So this is this sets up everything perfectly. Let's start with the offensive trenches in this one, because I know you wrote about the offensive line improving. Um, I posted some numbers today of like which players are trending the most in the right direction with my grades over the course of the last couple of months, really kind of since that Steelers game. Rasheed Walker, one of those players that absolutely stood out. I think that's well known at this point. It's something I've been talking about uh, probably for about a month now, uh, maybe even a little bit longer of how his like play really like just flipped the switch and he's been a totally different player, but he was absolutely on that list. Another one that's gone a little bit under the radar, John Runyon Jr. And I know you had a great quote from him as well, but over his past four games, Uh, Not to sound like a Green Bay uh, Packer offensive coordinator, uh, you know, personnel person, but he might be playing the best football. Not of his career, I would say, but definitely of this season for John Runyon Jr. over the course of the past month. Uh, Zach Toms is consistent self. Elton Jenkins might have had his best game of the season this past week. He was phenomenal. Um, Josh Meyer still inconsistent up and down some good, some bad. He actually had a nice game this week, though, as well. Uh, A lot of these guys are playing their best football. I want to get your takes on all of it in just a second, but just really quick. I want to shout out Green Bay for the competition that they started that really mm-hmm. seemed to sort of get this all going in the right direction. Because I can make a strong argument Rashid Walker, Yash Nyman, John running Jr., and Sean Ryan all have been better since that competition took place. And those were the three spots. Now, I know Myers, it's, we'll just set that aside for a second because I think there's obviously some differing opinions on, on Myers. But Jenkins and Tom were the clear and obvious situations. And as soon as you recognize you're not moving Tom from right tackle to anywhere, that basically solidifies Josh Myers as well. So the two competition spots were that left tackle and right guard spot. And as soon as they opened that competition, it helped the starters. It helped the backups. And it just feel like it solidified everything from that point moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think that was the turning point, and all because I think it was was it week nine against the Rams. I think was kind of the first time we yeah. we saw that, or around that point. And That's really when the play of the offensive line, as you as you mentioned, started to turn around. And I remember it was just a few weeks ago. Luke Butkus, the offensive line coach, was asked about continuity. We hear about the importance of that. Along the offensive line and he goes, there is continuity. We do this in practice every single day. So Elton's comfortable playing next to Walker or or Nyman. Josh Myers is comfortable playing next to Runyon or Ryan and just a, just a different perspective to think of just outside of, you know, what we see on Sundays. But all the, you know, Butkus, Stenovich, LeFleur have all credited the play of the offensive line of the whole to a degree to that competition that you mentioned, saying that it the level of competition raised the play of everyone, and we're seeing the results of that. And uh, in that article that you had referenced that I wrote, you know, I spoke to John Running after the game and kind of like I started off at the top here. You know, it's the time of year we want to be peaking. Do you feel like your offensive line unit is doing that? We've seen it on the ground game. And, of course... Aaron Jones is Aaron Jones like he's, he's he's obviously a big part of that but even if you watch like the Panthers game versus the Bears game like Aaron Jones still went over 100 yards in each of those games but in terms of like the running lanes that were being created for him I thought there was a big difference between the Panthers one and this Bears one I thought the Bears yeah. game uh, from a pure run blocking perspective and what the offensive line did I thought might have been one of their best performances of the season and what Runyon had to say was that the, the coaches are trusting and believing in the offensive line unit. And the, one of the first things he credited was just the game plan that they're putting together for the offensive line unit, putting them in positions to be successful. And the last thing that he mentioned that really stood out to me was the, you know, when they're going out there, they're executing on what they want to do, regardless of how the defense is defending them. And that's what good offenses do. Of course, week to week, you make adjustments, you tailor it, the game plan to who you're playing. But at the end of the day, you have your core concept. You have who you are as an offense, and you just go out there and execute on it. And it sounds like from the offensive line standpoint, and I think we're seeing that as from the offense as a whole, that's where that's what's happening with this unit right now is they know where they excel. They know what positions they need to be in to be successful. The game plan's reflecting that, and it's just going out there and executing on it and beating the guy across from you. Like I said, that's what good football teams do, and we're seeing the offensive line do that. One little stat I want to throw out there because I love my stats. Since week 15, Jordan Love's been pressured on just 20% of his dropbacks. That's the lowest rate in football. And that's with him being the seventh highest blitz quarterback in football as well. So, of course, credit to the offensive line. Also credit to Jordan Love for the reasons we talked about earlier, knowing where to go to the football, diagnosing what's coming, the pre-snap adjustments, all that stuff. But this offensive line unit is playing their best football right now. And while you know we look at Jordan Love, we look at the, the, the pass catchers, a lot of the success, and not just for the Packers, but any team, starts up front. If you have a run game to lean on, Jordan's talked about it, opens up opportunities in the passing game. If Jordan Love, this offense right now, has time in the pocket like he did against the Bears, I mean, for a defense, good luck defending this unit right now. So they're playing really, really good football at this time. Yeah, so many things I want to say here. First
2: of all, it's exciting that worst-case scenario, even if Bakhtiari doesn't come back healthy and they lose Nyman, they lose John Runyon Jr. uh, in free agency, they can go left to right. With Rashid Walker, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, uh, Sean Ryan, and Zach Tom, and you already feel comfortable that there's the consistency and the continuity there, that they're going to be able to play together for a whole nother season. Of course, you want depth and competition and all those things, but at a worst case scenario, you've got a starting five that you can roll with and feel comfortable in. Not not many offenses and not many teams in football we can go already into next year saying like, yep, our offensive line is set if we need it to be. And Green Bay has a huge luxury there. Um, as far as the running game this week, no question about it. This was their best game in run blocking, in my opinion, of the entire season. And it's funny because you mentioned the Carolina game. <clears throat> when Jones had that big game against Carolina, I was so excited. I'm like, oh, well, let's dig into this tape and let's see how this offensive line did. And it's like, ah, they were fine, but Aaron Jones just did some Aaron Jones stuff. And he found like these tiny little creases and just made crazy things happen. Like Aaron Jones likes to do. And then you watch this one though, against Chicago and it's like, Oh, they were, they were on their game. They were moving people. And that's Tucker craft and some other guys too. It's not just the offensive line, but I thought they did a, a absolute tremendous job in this game. And then just overall, you know, the, the, the blitz pickups, the protection, you mentioned all the, the pressures they're getting. Uh, I've obviously been hard, I guess. I, I like to say realistic, but we'll say hard on Josh Myers this year for some of the play and, and the inconsistencies. I don't think he gets enough credit for some of the stuff that he's doing. That center position is critical in all the the checks and the movements and the slides and everything. And Jordan has a huge piece of that as well. But uh, that, that communication between Myers and Love goes a very long way in making sure that you don't have free blitzers coming through. I think we've seen fewer of those this year, and I do think Josh Myers is a piece of that as well. When they say that he's playing his best football, part of that is obviously um, you know, in, in some of the debate is how he's actually playing physically on the field. But I think the mental aspect of it has a lot to do with that as well, and it seems like Josh has been on top of his game with that aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that point. And uh, I think even going back to the summer, it was early on in the season when there were the questions about what Meyer's role was going to be, if Zach Tom was going to take over, Stenovich, LeFleur, they kept going back to, especially Stenovich when talking about him, his his role within that offensive line. And they talked about the leadership role and speaking up, you know, uh, off the field in the film room and all of those types of things. But that also included, like you just mentioned, those pre-snap uh, protection adjustments, because that all starts with Josh Myers. You know, he's looking at what the defensive personnel is, how the defense is aligned. He's getting everything set, communicating that to all the blockers, the offensive line, the tight ends, the running backs. And then as Jordan Love takes over, you know, he's making adjustments, fuses the hard count, any late movement from the defense. So everything starts, you know, in terms of those protections with, with Josh Myers and and getting that communicated out to everyone. Yeah, no, we're right there. I'm right there with you, I should say. Um,
2: another article that you wrote was uh, sort of the the Packers having strength in numbers on offense and having all of these different weapons at their disposal. Uh, I'll start with you. You know What was kind of the crux of that article? Obviously, you don't have to give away all the spoilers. Everyone should go and read it as well. But um, your thoughts on all these weapons that Green Bay has on offense right now?
1: Yeah, the, just Jordan Love's ability to spread the ball around. So I look back at the last eight games, four of them, they've had nine or ten players who have had at least one target in a game and only one of those eight. Did they have a, a game where uh, they didn't have at least eight players have a target and they had seven? So they're spreading the ball around. And Matt Lafleur talked about it this week. Adam Stenovich talked about it last week. Like, that's a real stressor for defenses. Obviously, if you – there's situations, and Lafleur talked about this, like, yeah, it'd be nice to have a go-to guy on that third and four that you can just get the ball to. We've seen it for years with Devontae Adams here in Green Bay. But what the Packers have as well can stress a defense just in a different way because Jordan Love has shown – like almost regardless of the situation, like he will go to you if the, the read dictates it, the progression, how the defense is playing everything. And I think a prime example of that is some of Samori Toure's targets this season. Like before the injury, he was inactive for a stretch and he'd get in for a game or two. And Samori Toure had like some big targets and key moments, like that fourth down in Atlanta, uh, the the Denver game, the last interception from I think it was the last interception from Jordan Love when they were just across midfield towards the end of the game. Like yeah. there's several throws that you wouldn't necessarily think the guy who's the sixth receiver at that time, who's been inactive for more often than not, that in these key moments he's gonna get the ball. And that just goes to Jordan Love just going through the process. If the Z receivers, the read. It works out that way based on the defense is going. It doesn't matter who the Z receiver is. Like that's where the football is going. And so that's a product of this. Also a product of the coaching and their ability to, and Matt O'Fleur has talked about this, to learn what each player does to put them in positions to be successful. So you can have Bo Melton, who obviously earned his opportunities, but gets into games and the coaching staff knows how to put him in situations where Bo Melton can be successful or Malik Heath can be successful. And then of course, to the pass catchers, the opportunities that they've earned, You know, Bo Melton obviously had his opportunities uh, in the later, latter part of the season. But like Malik Heath, too, like he started off with a bit of a role early on then was inactive for a few games and had to earn that back. So it's a credit to the players. As always is the case in football, it's a team effort. But when you have that ability to – go to anyone in really any given situation, it spreads the defense out. They can't key in on one guy or even two guys. Spreading them out means more space, more room to operate. You get some one-on-one matchups that you can take advantage of. And right now that's been, and not just right now, but for this whole second half of the season, that's been one of the one of the many strengths that this Packers offense has right now. I think it's just another layer of
2: competition as well. When all these wide receivers are watching everyone else have all this success? It's going to motivate them and be like, all right, I need to set my game up if I want playing time. If I want to get the ball coming my way, I better be open when Jordan is looking my way, or I'm not going to get the ball thrown my way. Like everyone, and if they know too. If like if they're running a the wrong route, or if they don't get the check, like we saw in the the what the key the, the the love fumble this week where a receiver didn't get the check, like that could mean that hey, next guy's going in that understands that it can do it because they have the depth and they have the pieces to do it. But I love love, love, love the fact that there isn't necessarily that one have to go to guy on this offense. And I'm not saying that, you know, the team would be worse if all of a sudden they had an alpha wide receiver that was really freaking good. No, every team would want that. But the fact that Jordan can go through everything, make his reads go through the process and the progression the way that he's supposed to, and also have faith that all these guys are getting open. I have no doubt like Dobbs, Watson, Wicks, Reed—you know, whoever it is, Melton, uh, Malik Heath, like if who's ever out there—I I have faith that they're going to find a way to get open. That the offense knows where to put those guys in the right positions. I think they've learned that through the course of the season, as you mentioned. And I, like I've seen people, and and I was you know kind of going online today about like the Christian Watson, Watson situation and whatever. And it's like, well, I don't think he's ever going to be a number one wide receiver. I don't care. I don't care if he's ever like a legit, you've got three wide receivers on the field so much percent of the time. I don't care who is, it can be Reed, it can be Wicks, it can be Melton, it can be Watson, I do not care. I just like put the three guys that are on the field in your three wide receiver sets in positions that they can be successful with the route that they're given. And I have faith that all of those guys are going to get open when put in those situations. And that's what we've seen. And that's what's been so fun to watch. Uh, about this offense for me and it it extends to the running backs the tight ends all of the weapons it's not just that wide receiver but even when they've had guys missing whether it's been Reed or Watson or Dobbs or Wicks or whomever they've had guys step up and everyone just kind of keeps it rolling that's exactly what you want to see from a plethora of young wide receivers they've
1: been so freaking impressive just another stressor for defenses to contend with
2: yeah. And I mean, it, it's a great point too, because it adds to the defensive complexity of like having to know of like, all right, where are they going to go on this play? You, you can't mm-hmm. hone in and say, all right, well, double Watson on this play or double Wicks on this play. You don't know where the ball is going to go to. And You know, and even if you do, like Jordan's gonna be like, oh, that guy's doubled. Let me go to my next read and uh, go to whoever that is. Maybe it is Reed, but um, yeah, like they'll do whatever they need to do to get the ball in the right spot. And I think that's what has made this pass offense so successful. All right, let's talk about that other guy, that Jordan Love guy that uh, you mentioned a little bit at the onset. I think everyone has uh, pretty much talked uh, glowingly and given uh, Jordan Love his flowers all throughout the course of the week, uh, but still want to give you the opportunity. Anything that you're noticing from Jordan that's different, better, improved, uh, anywhere you want to go with this.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to reference one of my, my post-game articles because, like you mentioned, we're, we're seeing, we've seen everything that's taken place on the football field from Jordan Love, from this offense that's been a part of this turnaround. But you know what you you... Throughout the course of the season and being in the locker room, you hear the other things that are taking place. You hear Bo Melton talking about the Monday night offensive dinners that Jordan Love has hosted at his house over the course of the season. You hear about on Tuesdays, a typical off day in the NFL, although I know there's no off days, they're all in the building. But you hear about Jordan Love with the skill position players getting together to watch film so they can get on the same page, have an understanding of what Jordan Love wants, wants them to do in specific situations. You hear about wide receivers coach Jason Vrabel talking about when there's a misplay by the wide receiver, the first person over there to put their arm around him is Jordan Love to pick them up to say, hey, forget about it. I'm coming back to you on the next play. I need you. It's those things like guys fight for that type of teammate. Can't and throughout the course of the season even when things were going bad there was this unwavering confidence in Jordan Love and admittedly at times you wonder is it just you know kind of the the coach the the players speak cuz like what are they supposed to say in the situation but now you get to the end of it you see the outcome you see the results the turnaround and you see it as this is true belief in who he is and when they were talking about we're going to turn it around Again, hindsight being twenty twenty, you can look at it as it wasn't a matter of if it was when. Now, admittedly, maybe they didn't know when when was, but they knew it was coming. And just so, just to take a different perspective and look on this outside of what Love's done on the field, it, it all these extra things on their own and they're small. But they build up and they matter. They matter in that locker room. They matter for that team. And that builds that confidence, that belief that they have in them. And Runyon said that when talking about love. Like, doesn't matter the situation. Like, they know that he's going to know what to do. He's going to be able to pull them through it. And these little things that he's done as the leader, as the quarterback, to, you know, unite This Packers team, this locker room has been, I think, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if significance the right word, but it's 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 been it's mattered. It's mattered a part of this process that they've gone through as a team this season.
2: Hey, friends, I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately, as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets, and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game, I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets, so when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin-Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. That was until I found GameTime. GameTime is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. GameTime is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using GameTime, stress-free. Download the GameTime app, create an account and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Oh, and Game Time is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code PACKADAY. Download Game Time today, last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey add a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Price picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, I think so too. I've I've really enjoyed sort of his leadership style uh, from, from day one, just kind of the unwavered confidence, same guy day in and day out. Um, I go back to his junior year at college when everything sort of fell apart around him and all of his weapons were gone. His coaching staff was gone. Like everything was gone and he's playing some really tough teams and he's playing like, I, I always forget if it was, L- I think it's LSU that they played in that season. Um, mm-hmm. And like, they're just outgunned in every significant way. Like every, all 10 of the players that he has on his side of the field are like, are being outplayed by the 11 players on LSU's defense. And he's just, they, they don't have a chance And they're, of course, down in the game, and he's just coming back every single drive, and it's the exact same guy every time. He's not trying to do too much. He's not trying to do too little. He's not bummed. He's not frustrated. It's just going through the process, doing what he can do, controlling what he can control, and just kind of being that calm, composed leader for the rest of the group that in, in a very tough game, that's exactly what they needed. And you've seen it throughout the time in Green Bay, too during the losing streaks, during the winning streaks, you haven't seen any different Jordan Love. He's been the same guy every single week. When he's been bad, when he's been great, it doesn't matter. It's the same guy. I think that goes a long way, and I think his ability to, you know, relate, obviously, to younger wide receivers. He's, you know, he's worked with some of these younger guys when he was here last year, and, of course, now the rookies, like this is their only NFL quarterback that they've really known. I I just think those connections are so invaluable, and the time, effort, and energy, like, I'll, I'll just put it this way. The offense making this jump that they've made and Jordan making the jump that he's made in a, like the course of a regular season, that never just happens. There is so much work and connectivity that needs to take place for that jump to happen. And I'm not saying it's all that because we've seen the offensive line improve and I don't think that they're probably going to Jordan's every uh, week to review tape and everything. So there's, there's parts of it, but I do think that just all the work and effort and energy that everyone in this offense has put into it. You're seeing it pay dividends in a just unbelievable
1: and incredible way. Yeah. You mentioned it, his demeanor, how he carries himself. Like this is the ideal type of person to navigate the season that the Packers had, the ups and downs, the, the injuries, just the, the pure chaos that was going on around him because The word Matt LaFleur always uses poised when he's talking about Jordan Love, when he's describing Jordan Love and just this, you know, steady presence, regardless of what's going on around him. And for all the chaos that there was in this Packers season, like that's the stabilizing force you need at the most important position to help you navigate through that.
2: Yeah, it was LSU. I finally double checked it. He threw 3 interceptions in that game. They lost 30 to 15. Was not a great day overall at the office for Jordan or Utah State, but uh, again, I was just struck when I, I went back and watched that game. Um, I remember when when scouting it right after he got drafted, um of just how he was unwavered in that entire time. Oh, we've seen that same Jordan love. Uh, really quick uh, last thing on offense here with Jordan playing the way that he has been. I've seen, you know, it's a little bit of concern or um, you know, just sort of thought of like, all right, what happens if Tom Clements doesn't come back? And um, there's always the possibility he could retire. There's always the possibility he's here for another four or five years. We, we just have no idea. But um, I think Tom does deserve a ton of credit for the work that he has done with Jordan. I don't think it's happenstance that in the past two seasons when Jordan has really taken off, that, that is when Tom Clements has come in at quarterback's coach. I'm not saying it's all that, but I think it's definitely a piece of it how important is uh and i know we're not there it's impossible to know so i know this is an impossible question to answer but it feels like tom clements is really important to jordan love and uh how how big would this be if he wouldn't be able to come back next year for whatever reason
1: i think it'd be pretty significant i think that as you mentioned just the the connection that we've seen from when clements arrived to where love is now like you you can't discount that and Tom Clement's biggest thing, the thing we always heard Aaron Rodgers talking about when referencing Tom Clemens is footwork, 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 footwork. And not that Jordan Love still doesn't have areas to improve upon on. I think last time Clement spoke, he even talked about that. But that's a part of Love's game where you've seen improvement from him from his time in the NFL. And in terms of two people working together, I feel like just who they are as individuals is a really, really good match. Because like we talked about, Jordan Love, that steady presence and LaFleur's talked about it, Stenovich. like he's one of the most, the they've said like self-critical individuals. Like he is the first to acknowledge, like, I got to be better at this. I got to be better at that. And when Love was talking about Tom Clements, I mean, Clements will, of course, give you your, your your congratulations when you do something well. But he's also going to be right there to correct you right away. And so I just feel like the connection and chemistry between who they are as people has built a really, really good working relationship, which has helped contributed to you know Love's progression. What we're seeing on the field, and just for any young quarterback, even the success that he's had this season, you know, continuity, who you're working with, what you're being taught, I think that's always important. Um, and so, being able to carry that over into Love's second season as a starter uh, is is very, very valuable. And if you're Tom Clements, I remember obviously with Rogers leaving, there is, I think this past offseason speculation of like, well, you know, was would Clements return to come quarterback Jordan Love and. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. You look at it from Clemens' perspective, and you see him in practice, and now you have the opportunity to tie your coaching legacy to not only Aaron Rodgers, but if you can get Jordan Love taken off, I mean, what does that say about Clemens as a coach? And so not just for Jordan Love, but I think there's some incentive here for Tom Clemens to, to stick this one out as well. Might as well at least come back for one year, get Jordan his first MVP
2: next year, and then maybe right off in the sunset after that. But uh, no, in all seriousness, I do think it is very important. And I'd lo- I would love—I mean, at least one more year would be great um, for, for Jordan to get that uh, another year of experience with them. I did uh, put out there as well in the instance that if, if, if Tom does retire, one interesting name to keep an eye on uh, would be Luke Getze. If he does get terminated in Chicago from his, his offensive coordinator position, that was Jordan's first quarterbacks coach. He was also the passing game coordinator in Green Bay. I know things did not go well in Chicago. I know Justin Fields did not exactly flourish um, in that system or with him as the offensive coordinator. Um, However, I think he did a great job in Green Bay. I think Green Bay would probably be interested in some capacity in having him back and that could be a match and again that was Jordan's first quarterbacks coach in the NFL so there is that familiarity there as well that could be an option if in fact Clements would retire whatever would happen but i think everyone with goes without saying is hoping that Clements could be back next year and then you can figure it out down the line whenever but and just to be totally clear too there's no rumors or anything that Clements will retire or might retire it's uh, more of just like all right, what happened? He is in that age of like, all right, it could happen at any moment. So it's at least worth bringing up if nothing else. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Just a couple things really quick before we look ahead uh, to Packers Cowboys. Um, Let's, you mentioned the trenches earlier. Let's start with the pass rush and we'll get to the run defense, but from a pass uh, rush standpoint, the the pressure percentages have been picking up and this does feel like the one thing that is actually going very well for this Packers defense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it is the, Starting with the play of the interior defensive line, like that group in particular, the last few weeks. And uh, the same question that I asked John Runyon about his, his position group to offensive line, I asked Kenny Clark as well about do you feel like your interior defensive line group is coming along and, you know, playing some of their best football? And he said, absolutely. And, you know, he referenced the youth at that position. And even the defensive front, if we include the edge rushers, obviously it's not at the level of, wide receiver and tight end because you have Kenny, you have Rashawn, you have Preston, but you have two rookies along the interior defensive line. You have two second-year – or two rookies along the interior defensive line. Vanessa's a rookie. You have two second-year players in Wyatt and Enigbare. You have a third-year player in TJ Slayton who's in his first year in terms of playing this type of role within the defense. Like, this is a young unit as well. It's absolutely had to go through their their learning curve – And you do wonder if just we're starting to see just like on the offensive side of the ball and it gets to different degrees, slightly different circumstances. But you got a young core that's seeing significant playing time that's starting to play some of their their best football at this time, because the, the push that they're able to generate up the middle, like that was a big part of limiting fields ability. Uh, as, as a ball carrier, keeping them in the pocket, allowing the edge rushers to get home, and so I think we're starting to see that that maturation process of the interior defensive line really start to take over. And of course, it's December; it's January, so we just we just assume Kenny Clark's going to be rolling right now as well. And he has been—that's for sure. We've seen signs from Wyatt Slayton, Carl sure. Brooks.
2: But let me—I want to talk about Colby Wooden for just for a second. Colby Wooden is, I think, fifth on defense for me in my grade so far this year. Now. A couple of things. It's not a super high grade or anything like that. And he's playing like, I don't know, eight, nine snaps a game at the very most. It's very, very minimal snaps. So he's getting to come in extremely fresh, play like five or six usually pass rush snaps, and then just kind of, you know, maybe do something well and then be like, all right, peace, like kind of Costanza ish, and be like, I did my one good thing. I'm out of here. Um, I, I think if he were playing like 30, 40 snaps, I don't think it would go well. I think, I don't, I just don't think he's ready for that but I really like the way that he plays and competes when he comes in. And there isn't like, even if it's just eight to 10 snaps, whatever it is, there isn't this drop off. And Green Bay fans know well enough in years past, when you get to your fourth or fifth defensive lineman, it hasn't always gone very well. And there's been that consistent drop off. And even if he, a guy can come in and give you 10 good snaps of football, that is super, super valuable, especially for a rookie, especially for a guy who probably needs to put on a little bit of functional strength in the off season. I like what I see out of him. We all know what we've seen out of Carl Brooks already, why it is getting better in my opinion uh, and is getting better by the week. Um, and then, and obviously so is LVN. I, I just think this group, this front group is trending in the right direction. And it does seem like the more one-on-ones they can get. And we've been seeing a little bit more five-man rush, that they can like somebody's getting home if they've got those five guys rushing and that there's, there's some excitement there. It does see a little boomer bust of like, all right, if they, if the defensive front gets home, you're in really good hands. And if not, you're kind of screwed sometimes, but I'll, I'll take what they're giving us right now.
1: Yeah, and of course, credit to Preston Smith. Preston Smith. I mean, he's just been, especially as of, as of late. As of late, we've seen his production from the pressure, some sacks, the forced fumble in Minnesota take off. But he's just been a steady, steady presence for this for this Packers defensive front throughout the entire season. And Jason Repovitch, the edge rusher coach, said that from a leadership standpoint. Uh, Preston Smith is up there in terms of players that he's been around in his entire coaching career, bringing that aspect to it. And uh I, I asked, this was about a month or so ago, but I asked Brent Cox about that undrafted rookie, edge Rusher coming in and being just being in that room with Preston Smith. And he talked about how, from the moment that he got here, how Preston Smith has helped him uh, and not just, you know, with the on the field stuff, but, you know, the anything off the field in terms of just, you know, uh, acclimating to the nfl just all that stuff like he's come in and put his arm around these young guys and then we're of course seeing his steady presence on the football field as well and so he's one of those guys just always seems to fly under the radar a little bit yeah he definitely does and then the other one real quick too is the run defense it's had its
2: hiccups over the course of the season i do think over the course of the past month specifically against running backs They've showed out a little bit better. Even going back to that Giants game, Saquon had that big run at the end that he fumbled on, but up until that point, they held him really in check. Uh, the Tampa Bay did not have a huge rushing game on the ground, mostly because Baker could just throw at will, but we'll just put that to the side for a moment. Uh, Minnesota had a really tough game on the ground. Then Chicago, who you mentioned earlier, has a really good rush offense. They couldn't get anything going. Fingers crossed, this run defense does maybe seem to be kind of gelling and playing some cohesive football at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Since that Giants game, if you take out that last run, you know the I think it's the Vikings who average like four point one yards per rush. Like that's been the most that they've given up in a game during. That's like what I think a five six game stretch now. And just for some context, like four four point one yards per rush, like that's middle of the pack. So if that's the the worst that you're doing during you know a third a quarter of the season, you're playing some good run defense. And to some of the points we mentioned earlier. I think it's the development, the push that we're seeing from that interior defensive line. Against the Bears in particular, I thought the edge rushers did a really, really good job. And you're, you're going to be more mindful of it when you're going up against a quarterback like Justin Fields about uh, holding up a strong edge to not let him get outside. But I thought that they did an excellent job the edge rushers did in that regard. And just collectively from this defense, including the linebackers, you know, the safeties and run defense, we're seeing – especially over these last couple of games, just a more cohesive unit that's all on the same page. And each guy is, you know, the old saying goes kind of doing their 111th both, rather than overextending. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. I, I went down this tangent when I was when I was doing radio the other day. But when Matt LeFleur said, I think it was after the Tampa game, that he was going to be more involved in the – in the defensive side of the ball and then he was asked about it yesterday didn't say it was drastic but one of the things he pointed out was making sure that just the communication and what they're supposed to be doing is better executed because i always felt like that was one of the key disconnects like what barry wanted them to do to the position coaches to the players like somewhere along that line and it was probably all the lines something was getting botched and then the execution was just way off but collectively as a unit these last two games in particular it's been a lot more sound, so I'm ju- I'm just curious that connection in terms of Matt Lafleur saying he's going to step in. What that's looked like, we don't know. We're probably never going to find out, but you have to think there's some connection between that and what we're seeing from the results on the defensive side of the ball.
2: Yeah, it's something I brought up earlier this week as well. Is to me, it's not a mistake that you know Lafleur said after the Tampa game he was going to get more involved, and then Carolina didn't go great. Um, but the, the obviously the last two games have the the first thing that I think. And again, this is just hypothesis here. I I don't know for sure. We've seen more pressure in these past three weeks. It did not work against Carolina. It has worked against Minnesota and Chicago. I think that to me felt like mandate number one of like, all right, we're going to bring more five-man rushes. We're going to blitz more. We saw Keyshawn Nixon off the edge Mm -hmm. against Minnesota. Quay Walker has been more involved as a blitzer. That feels to me since that Tampa game, one thing that they've made a change on is to say, all right, we're going to bring a little bit more pressure. Number two, has been the communication on the back end. I mentioned it after the Minnesota game. I felt like the, I mentioned it, it didn't feel like a simplistic defense, but it felt like everyone was able to do their jobs that they needed to do. Everyone was on the same page and everything was communicated. Now against Chicago, there were two plays. There's the play where DJ Moore comes open, where Jair tries to pass it off. I don't know if it's to Quay. I don't know if he thought another receiver was going to cross his way and he was going to exchange with another corner. Tough to say, but they sort of botched that exchange. There's another play pre-snap where he and Carrington Valentine are talking pre-snap, and then EQ ends up wide open, and both Jair and Carrington kind of go towards the far wide receiver on the play. So it's not perfect yet. But I would say over these past two games, those, the, especially the communication, but everyone doing their one eleventh and not getting outside of of what they're supposed to do on the play, and actually kind of just maintaining and keeping everything in front of them. It just, it's been a more sound version of defense. And again, I've said it all week. I am not crowning anyone. I am not expecting a great defensive performance against Dallas this week. This is going to be a massive challenge, but there are things that I have seen in these past two weeks that are repeatable and that they can carry over and can have better success with than what we saw earlier this season, where everyone was flying around doing their own thing lack of communication, lack of discipline, if they can just cut out that crap, then you're going to be in a position where you can at least be better and coherent defensively. And I think a lot of us, if asked a month or two ago, especially after you know Carolina-Tampa, if the defense could play coherent football, we would have been like, that is a huge step in the right
1: direction, and right now I will take it. Yeah, just a quick spin off what you said about the defense being simpler or looking simpler, but that not being a negative thing. You know, yeah. a different side of the ball, different position group. But John Runyon said something similar about the offensive line. He said, trying to get it right here, he said, things are more simple right now, and that doesn't mean that there's less. It just means that we're being put in positions to be successful, and that was going off of what I talked about earlier with the coaching staff understanding what they do well, how to execute on that, and so I think that that – from Runyon's perspective ties into what you're seeing on the defensive side of the ball. No, totally agree. I'm, I'm interested to see how this defense plays
2: this week against Dallas. We'll get there in just a second, but I have a fun one for you that I asked justice yesterday and I want your same, uh, or I want your, your answer on it. Justice and I were in lockstep. I want to see if you are as well. 2023 draft class, you start uh, fresh with a new team, and are, are starting a new franchise next year, and you can take any three players from the Packers' 2023 draft class with you. Which three players are you starting your franchise with?
1: Oh, great question! Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Luke Musgrave.
2: All right, you we had two. You had two of our three, um, and we were very close. We had. Reed and Wicks as well, but we took craft over Musgrave was the only difference. So um it's still I mean LVN can be in that conversation Carl Brooks can be in that conversation I think probably Carrington Valentine not quite in that conversation but the dude is a starting corner um right now as well and certainly has some upside down the road as well um just a really fun draft class and there's a lot of directions you could go with that and have it be pretty fun but um yeah either way uh the the four answers so far all on offense all offensive weapons (laughs) so um good good hands to be in moving forward all right let's talk Packers, Cowboys. Uh, what are you looking for in this game? What's going to be the the game changing events, matchups? Any like I said, any direction you want to go in?
1: Yeah, I mean that uh, the obvious. The turnover battle, I think, is obviously going to be really important. For, I mean, for much of the season, that's kind of dictated the Packers' win-loss column. I believe their win against Chicago, where they lost the turnover battle, is just their second this season where they've done so. And so, going against an opponent, you know, with his, you know, the explosive playmaking ability on both sides of the ball at Dallas Springs feels like that's going to be a game where you're absolutely going to have to win the turnover battle. Slowing down Micah Parsons, whatever you got to do, absolute game wrecker, just do your best to not let him be that game wrecker. And then I think this is going to be a game, and I've seen others mention it as well, where Packers are going to have to lean on lean on running the ball in this one. That's a part of that Dallas defense that has proven to be susceptible this season. Aaron Jones, we talked about the offensive line. So those are kind of the three big things off the top of my head right now that I think are going to play key roles in this one. Andrew Merteg, uh obviously Pack-A-Day podcast crew member here. He does an
2: amazing job. He had a great tweet today. The Cowboys have lost so far this year to the Cardinals, 49ers, Eagles, Bills, and Dolphins. In those losses, they gave up 222 yards rushing, 170 yards rushing, 109 yards, 266 yards, and 91 yards rushing. So their run defense has been a problem um, pretty much in all five of their losses. 91 yards isn't anything extravagant, but uh, two of those games were 222 and 266 yards of rushing. Uh, so that they've had some problems with that specifically in their losses. Great time for Aaron Jones to be playing his best football uh, right now. He has fresh legs. Give him the ball as much as you can. Um, Justice and I were talking about yesterday – of like, you know, how many carries can you give him? And I'm like, as many as he can, like as many as you want. If if he's not on the field, just throw the ball. I like, I don't (laughs) care. Like I'm, I'm more worried about Aaron not getting enough touches than I'm worried about Aaron not getting too many touches at this point. So uh, I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm stoked about Aaron and the way that he's playing. And I think there is a, a little bit of a recipe for success. If you can run the ball on Dallas, maybe control the clock, maybe get some points, maybe put Dallas a little bit under pressure, Maybe get one of those turnovers that you probably desperately need in this game. And then before you know it, maybe it's the end of the game and you've got a puncher's chance to pull that thing out.
1: Yeah, and this was obviously different teams from last year to this year, but this was also the opponent for the, the Christian Watson breakout game. So obviously, regardless of who the opponent is, when you're playing playoffs or not, you want Christian Watson on the field for the dynamic ability he brings, the attention that he draws, but uh, ability to exploit some of those one-on-one matchups as well. Yeah, I think so, too. We'll see if he's going to
2: be available or not. We'll get a better indication after Wednesday's practice as to whether or not he was going in any capacity, although even, what, last week he went Wednesday and Thursday, and still, you know, Matt LaFleur said he used a little bit of, uh, you know, what, coach speak and subterfuge to kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, gamesmanship to make it seem like maybe he was going to play but wasn't really probably going to play anyway. But, yeah, he would be a huge player to have in this game in some capacity. But as we've seen, Green Bay's weapons have stepped up on a numerous uh, numerous occasions this year. Uh, it wouldn't, whomever has been out, whether it's been Watson, Dobbs, Reed, Wicks, doesn't seem to matter. Those guys have all stepped up when needed. Paul, awesome, awesome stuff as always. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? Anything that you
1: want to plug? I appreciate it, Andy. You can follow me on Twitter, Paul underscore Find all my work over at Packers Wire. Head over to YouTube. Channel name is Paul Brettel. Hit like, hit subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, he does amazing work. Check out his YouTube channel and check him out
2: over on Packers Wire as well. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL and, of course, the podcast 365 days a year on the Pack-A-Day Podcast audio uh, network as well as over on the YouTube channel. We will be back next week breaking everything down from Packers Cowboys and hopefully previewing Packers 49ers. But that's going to do it for us today. Until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!